In your Bibles, let's start with this. Let's turn to Romans 1. And as we've done previously, I'm going to ask you to read verses 16 and 17 with me. 16 being last month's memory verse, 17 being this month's memory verse. And in doing so, we will continue on to verse 27. I can read the rest of that myself. Then let's talk. Here we go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, For their women exchanged the natural function of that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Let me say some things as we start this. Number one, if you're skeptical you're questioning, if you're on the fence, if you're wondering, or you just don't like what we just read, I want to ask you to give me three Sundays, okay? Came today, Sunday number one's in the books. You're, you're a third of the way there, okay? Give me three Sundays to speak on this subject, because I simply cannot cover it adequately and hopefully encourage our thinking on this subject by just using one Sunday regardless of how long I preach. So I ask that you give me three Sundays. That's also to hopefully respect your time. Number two, I understand completely that there's not anything I'm going to say today that is not going to be controversial in some way, or even borderline, or fully into being offensive today. I'm fully aware of that. Uh, Let me remind us as a church that our goal is not to please people. When we become people pleasers, we become seeker friendly. When we become seeker friendly, we forsake the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We stop talking about sin, hell, and death, and therefore we have no basis to talk about love, righteousness, grace, forgiveness, eternal life, any of those things. And so that's not the direction we're going to go. Uh, If some of you are on the fence and you're thinking about, well, I'm not happy with that viewpoint, and so I'm thinking about leaving the church because of this, or I'm going to retaliate in some way. Well, you've only been sitting for one Sunday, so give it two more. And then after that, come talk to me. I'm willing to have full conversations uh, with anyone regarding this subject. I think it's vitally important. Greatest problem we have here is that what we are reading, which would be classified usually in the categories of lesbianism or homosexuality, is the fact that it's popular. That's the greatest threat. Right now, it's trendy. It's considered vogue. 
or a lot of people love participating in it because of the shock value that it elicits. The internet has ruined our culture. Let me just go ahead and say it. We all use it, yes. Hopefully we use it for righteous purposes, but like anything else, it can be twisted and maligned. And what I don't find in either my personal interactions or my browsing on these subjects in order to be more thoroughly educated about a viewpoint that I don't advocate is that it's not about humility. And it's not about commitment. And it's not about having a devotional, heartfelt love for another person of the same sex. I don't find that. I find that it's boisterous. I find that it's flamboyant. I find that it's shameless. I find that it's out and out. This is who I am, and you should just accept me for who I am because who I am is okay. Now, I think the problem that we have as Christians is that we want to pick on this sin. And while the Bible has a lot to say about it, it doesn't give you the liberty to single out this one sin and hammer on it as if you disagree with it or can say enough condemning things about people who are involved in homosexuality as to where it is a self-justification for us. It's not. Christ is your life, not your argument against homosexuality. And so I think it's important for us to realize that as with any subject and any sin, we have to handle it with grace and love and truth and all of those things in balance, not one over the other. That's important. I think another thing that we're going to understand is that someone, maybe all of you, have been personally affected or related in some way to this subject. Whether it be that your children are gay, whether it be that your friends are gay, whether it be that maybe you are currently dealing with this personally. Maybe you have come out of that lifestyle. I don't know. And I'll be honest with you, unless you want to sit down and confide in me and we go through the word together and pray about it, it's really none of my business. And it's no one else's here in the church. See, that's the interesting thing about this is, is Christians are real good about getting in everybody's business about their sins. But we're real terrible about coming alongside them because we have sin too, and both of us getting a gaze of the Savior. Jesus alone is the objective truth in this entire situation. So we cannot afford to discount him in any way when we deal with this or address it. I think the third thing that's most tragic to me and as a staff, we were able to read through a book called um, Transgendered to Transformed by a woman named Laura Perry. I encourage you to get online and order that book. It's a very interesting read. <clears throat> and she's a very gracious person. But the fact is, is that a lot of people who are in the midst of this issue of homosexuality, lesbianism, whatever you want to call it, is because they are also victims of sex abuse. We don't know everybody's past. We see whatever we disagree with in the image that is presented to us. But one thing that we have to remember is beside, be, excuse me, behind that facade, and that's very much what it is, behind that facade is a hurting person. Another reason why people get into this situation is because of peer pressure. All their friends are, do it, are, are doing it. Or here's the one that we always hear, it's more popular today. Well, in college I was just experimenting. And what we don't find is anything about holiness, righteousness, truth. It's scary. It's a scary situation. In fact, here's, Mitch, let's bring up our quote. I encourage you to get this book if, if you know anything about it. This is a woman named Nancy Piercy. Nancy Piercy is an apologetics teacher at Houston Baptist University down in Houston, Texas. She wrote a book called Love Thy Body. It's a good book. She says, when we make sexual decisions, we are not just deciding whether to follow a few rules. Isn't that how it's been painted on the church? Just trying to cramp my sex life, that's what it is. The church is anti-sex. But notice, we are expressing our view of the cosmos and human nature. In other words, we are unfolding, those actions unfold what we ultimately believe about truth and reality. We are actually giving away our worldview 
and the sexual intercourse or the sexual compromises that we choose to make. And that ranges everywhere from homosexuality to bestiality to pedophilia to internet pornography. It doesn't matter. All of those things are a distorted perception of God's design. So let me say this as we move forward. I don't care about what the world says. And I want to encourage you that it's okay that you don't either. That doesn't give us the license to be disrespectful. But that also doesn't give us the pass to accept sin. And because I'm a church-going, good, fundamentalist person who loves my Bible and loves my Lord, that we can kind of reach out there and put the stamp of love on something that's plainly wrong. I think it's important that we understand that. My goal today is to be concerned foremost with the opinion of God on this situation. So I encourage you over the next three Sundays that you will walk with me through that. So everybody raise your right hand. I promise. See, some of you don't even actually put your hands down. You know this is good for the soul. Raise your hand. I promise that I will pay attention. I know it's asking a lot. To today and the next two, today, <laughs> there's always smart Alex in a bunch, aren't there? To today and the next two Sundays, whether that be in person or online, and I will pray about it. Thank you. Let's get into the text. This is not a fun sermon to preach. In fact, none of these are fun. Because it's all talking about how bad we are, or everyone around us is, and there's no hope in that. And I don't like it. I'm really excited to talk about chapter 3, justification by faith alone, the righteousness of God imputed to you and I. Nothing we deserve, but God fully accepts us. But to, in order to understand the glorious brightness that is justification in the righteousness of Jesus Christ imparted to unworthy sinners by faith alone, we have got to understand why justification is so precious and necessary. And if that's the case, we have to lick our fingers and hold them to the wind to get a degree of what is going on in society. Because that's where we live, that's where we work, that's where we operate, that's where we communicate. And so if the truth is going to hold precedence and preciousness to us, we have got to have a foundation of what exactly are we addressing with this truth. If you'll remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were dealing with the idea of idolatry. And verse 24 and 26 and 27 go together. Verses 23 and 25 go together. And so there's almost like an A, B, A, B, B format here. So let's look at that real quick and then let's break down 26 and 27. Notice in 23, and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man or birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, now here's the second part here, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. Now notice, where does sin originate? It originates in the heart. It always does. And the heart is lusting after something. So when God gives that up, he is withdrawing his control or his hindrance or his hand of protection off of people to allow them to run headlong in a direction that their hearts are ultimately desiring. Now remember, how does this happen? The turning point with the evidence of God made in creation and the law of God written on every person's heart is the response of not wanting to thank him for who he is or give him glory to honor him for who he is as creator. And that great turning away leads to a God substitute that is elevated. This is what we see in idolatry. Okay? Everybody with me? Okay. When that happens, an idolatry is not responded to with a recognition of, oh my gosh, what in the world am I worshiping? And a person presses on in that wrong direction through that point. God then gives them over to this situation. Now, if you want to write this down, if you've got one of these sermon booklets and you're somebody who likes to keep notes, if you want one, you can get one. Raise your hand. I think we've only got three left. 
Uh, But real quick, if you want to write this down, Psalm 81 verses 8 through 12. The idea of God removing his hand off of a people and letting them persist in the sin that they so desperately desire is not a New Testament concept, and it's not confined only to this type of situation. However, the prominence of idolatry being the catalyst that kicks off that reaction from God is always the same. Psalm 81, verses 8 through 12, if you want to write it down. Look at it at your own time. I wanted to look at it today, but we just don't have time for what we're going to be looking at because we're going to cover a lot of stuff here. And it's not even everything we needed to grab onto. So, when we move into verse 26, for this reason, because of the exchange of the truth of God, because we want a lie that is more palatable and more accepting of our sin and doesn't bring a full frontal assault of my guilt that I have because of the unrighteousness that is in me and the unrighteous acts that I want to commit. Because I'm not responding to that, and I would rather have falsehood over truth. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions degrading, dishonoring is the idea. It's the idea of something that is fully shameful and should be rejected altogether. The idea of passions here is actually where we get the idea of pathos. And when we deal with that, we're talking about a bad, bad experience. We are talking about giving them over to dishonorable, bad experiences because that is ultimately what the heart wants. Notice when we move on, for their women exchange, now pause, where have we seen that word before? In the what? The exchange of what? Truth for what? For a lie. So notice what we're talking about here. There is something that is right, righteous, and good, and we pick on the ladies first here, okay, that the ladies are giving up because they are steaming something less is more worthy. Now think about that, esteeming something that is less as more worthy. And notice what it says, they exchange the natural function. Now let me me give you this, because you might say, well natural, wouldn't that be considered carnal and therefore it's sinful and therefore it's wrong? That's not how Paul is using this word. Let me give you a definition here of this idea. It is that which is agreeable to our makeup. It's got the idea of design already implanted in it. There is a natural function for how these things ought to work. So notice, they exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural, for that which does not go together naturally. Another way that was used for this over in Romans 2, let me read it for you real quick. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, this is verse 14 if you want to write it down, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. In other words, God writing his law in their hearts, and you're living your life as someone who doesn't know God, doesn't know Jesus, doesn't care about any of that, never heard of the law of God, never heard of the Bible, but yet you are abstaining from killing people because you know it is wrong. That's because it's something that's been ingrained in you by God, and you are instinctively, or the word is probably more literally translated, naturally understanding that that's a wrong thing to do. Does everybody see that? Okay, so notice, it is, ta- it is a woman making a decision, pressing on the other side of idolatry to reject natural relations in order to go to unnatural relations. Now, let's say it. Women rejecting what? Men. Now, that's not anything new, right? But this is in a much different way. It doesn't take long. In fact, you can't get by in a mechanical situation without understanding that the distinguishment of male and female makes all the difference of whether something is going to work properly or not. So notice even the way that society is set up, the way that we, and we'll just go ahead and say it, subconsciously arrange something like how a nut and bolt work together, how plumbing fittings work together, how electrical fittings work together, however you want to say that. It's just the way we do things. It's just the natural way that we understand pieces work together. Would you agree? 
Now, I don't seek to be crass. I don't want to be crass at all because then it, it looks prideful. Now, I don't want to be prideful about this situation. But what it is, is it's an unthinking of how things have been purposefully designed. Now, let's, let's, let's think about this real quick before we look at verse 27. If we are drawing back from the purpose of how things are being designed, and this is a duh question, do they ever serve out the full potential of their purpose? No. And let me ask you this. Would you say that in order to give a semblance, not the real thing, but a semblance or a resemblance of the fulfillment of that purpose, you would have to introduce something artificial in order to meet those ends? You would. Am I speaking too generally? Because I can be much more graphic if you like. Okay, I'm not ashamed of it, man. And here's one thing that we have to remember. God created sex. He made it. He designed it. His blueprints are filed away somewhere for it. And when he decided that he was going to deal with the area between our thighs and our waist, and he made this distinguishment, he said, this is going to fit together real good. He had no problem in it. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with it. Why is that? Because procreation is a good thing. Which, notice this, I think this is important to recognize the flaws in the ideology. Procreation is a good thing that God designed sex for. And the homosexual community, whether lesbian, homosexual, gay, queer, however you want to say this, has had to supplement this with something outside of the relationship in order to bring what they understand is a sense of normalcy to it. You see what I'm saying? There is a substitution that is ushered in that strives for legitimacy. We're going to talk more about that next week. But there has to be a substitution made, otherwise it doesn't qualify as something that should be normally accepted. And then when it isn't normally accepted, we get irate and start marching in the streets and holding up signs and hating other people and coercing politicians and whatever else. That's the way that that agenda unfolds. But let's be honest. It's not just for procreation, is it? God gave sex for what? Say it. Pleasure. Don't be scared of it. Pleasure. Let me go ahead and break everybody's cow in the room or whatever, the elephant in the room. An orgasm is a good thing. Yes, I said it. Go ahead. I will. An orgasm is a good thing, and I'm not saying that to be crass. If you feel embarrassed by that, stop for a second and think about it. God designed this. God put it together. God said, I want them to be together. Because man was not able to find a helper suitable for him. Everything is perfect in the garden. But Adam still needs something. Think about that. It's God's mercy, it's his loving kindness that brings about this type of relationship. And it is a good thing. It is the definition of good because he designed it that way. When it's used according to the way that God designed it to be used, it is a good thing. Now look at verse 27, because we're going to jump into all of that. And in the same way also, so notice, Parallel to it, in the same manner, the men abandon the natural function of the woman. Now, I know you may read that and you may say, good grief, as ladies, that makes me feel like a piece of meat. No, it's not. What this says is that you are the suitably designed, this is the way it is, should be, recipient of all that this relationship is to offer. And there's nothing wrong with it. The problem is, is the idea of abandonment. What does it mean to abandon something? We probably automatically think of abandoned houses, right? You see them tilting over like the Tower of Pisa. Windows are broke out. Cobwebs are everywhere, right? Some groundhog has like started a family in there. It's real bad. It's uninhabitable. Why is that? Because everybody abandoned the building abandoning women guys if you're in a place where you say baby i don't need you anymore 
you obviously don't think soberly about yourself. We desperately need the women in our lives. Desperately. How come I'm not getting an amen out of you? (laughs) You know why? She doesn't have to amen. She knows. She's like, you ain't saying nothing that I'm not amening to in my head. We desperately need the women in our lives. But for sin to get to the point where you are abandoning that relationship, think about it. I'm not here to offend anybody. That intercourse is no longer satisfactory. And so I've got to seek intercourse from someone else. Not not just someone else, but altogether, anatomically speaking, biologically speaking, something else. Does everybody see that? So there's something that's like, you look at this and you go, man, it just doesn't add up there. But here's the problem is, notice it's not just an abandoning the natural function of the woman, but it uses this word. Look what it says, and burned in their desire. Desire, eager, longing. Burned means that you are having a lustful rage. Have you ever been in a rage at some point? I don't want to see some of you in a rage. Others I think would be hilarious, but a rage a rage to the point where you can't even see clearly, where you're just so mad about something. Anybody? Let me be honest. Jesus knows your sin. You need him as your savior. It's okay. Yes, okay, thank you. There's three of us in here that are truthful people. Praise God. But being just so frustrated by something, you're just ready to tear your ears off and throw them out the window. You can't handle it anymore. Well, think about that in the idea of a lustfulness that is charging through you. That's what we're talking about. You are burning. You are inflamed with lust. Moving in this direction. It says, notice, it was towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty. Everybody see that word, due penalty? It's the idea of recompense or to be paid back for something. And in the, in the New Testament, it can be used as either being paid back for something good, you put in some work and you got a paycheck for it, or it could be bad as the fact that you are committing sin and you're reaping what you sow out of the situation. So it can be used either one of those ways. Notice, receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And here's what's interesting about this word error. It is wrong in conduct or judgment. It is used of false thinking or deceitful ways. What is the due penalty? Understand when I say this, I'm not going to sit here and say that AIDS is strictly a gay disease. It's not. It's obviously passed along to a lot of heterosexual people in one way or another. But here's one thing I know, that disease or any other disease that would be considered sexually transmitted disease all has its origin in one common pot. And that pot is called sin. I've said this before, and I will say it again. If we would just follow God's directive for sex and how to handle our bodies. You meet someone, you want to get married, you are burning with passion, that's how 1 Corinthians 7 uses it, then you are to get married. And you are to display your passion with one another all the time, repetitiously, only stopping to pray, which gives you a good indication of how often that should be going on in the marriage relationship. Good stuff, right? Baby, we need to pray. Okay, I'm done praying, right? (laughs) That's kind of how it goes. But being invested in it in such a way as to where that is the outlet for that intimacy, nothing else. And if we would just follow God's directive, all sexually transmitted diseases would be gone in a generation or two. We would eradicate the earth of STDs if we would simply follow the Bible. Incredible. Now, one thing I think that is important is uh, words that keep popping up in these two verses I want you to see. Notice that we deal with verse 26, degrading passions. Everybody see that? Notice 27, burned in their desire towards one another. Everybody see that there is some sort of feeling, emotion, drive, that is happening with the senses that pull somebody in that way. And here's the reason why. Because sin is based in feelings. It really is. Anytime that you have your feelings up front trying to lead your train forward, you are in trouble because it is your decision maker. 
And because feelings are so subjective, one day you're up, one day you're down. When it gets you in a world of hurt like this to where you've allowed the push-through of idolatry to have you succumb to homosexuality, there's a concern there. Because feelings are in the front of the train. Everybody with me? If you weren't here for that, talk to somebody that's been here for a while. They'll explain the F train to you. Now, here's one thing that we know in some research. Number one, this is not a situation of genetics. This is a defense that's often been used. Well, there's a homosexual gene that's been passed down. Well, number one, we know that that can't be true for one reason. Each person in here got here because one man and one woman came together and produced a child. A child was never produced by two men or two women getting together. It's never happened. It will never happen. From a design viewpoint, it is impossible. Everybody with me? So it can't be genetics. There's a guy, his name is Francis Collins. He is America's most prominent geneticist. And he says sexual orientation is gene-influenced, but not hardwired by DNA. The genes may influence it. You may have a man that is a more effeminate man than maybe a more masculine man. Doesn't change the fact that they're a what? Man. And ultimately, in the situation, you cannot change the DNA structure. See, this is the problem with the transgender crowd. You can change your appearance. You can change your dress. You can get whatever surgery you want to. You can change your name. You can be called by whatever you want to. But you can never get into the core of the cell to change the DNA that says, this is a man and this is a woman. You can't escape God's design. No one ever can. You can change everything you want. In fact, that's another reason why you should get that book and read it because she actually went that far as to change a lot of those things. And now she regrets it. She'll never have children. She had surgery to completely remove her breasts that put her insanely in debt with credit card companies. All because she hated who she was and was unwilling to accept who God had biologically made her and starting with that design basis first and checking her feelings from that truth. Does everybody see why that's important? exactly how God designed. Now, what is this that we're looking at? Here's what it is. Notice that idolatry, not honoring, not thinking God, and then stepping into the realm of idolatry is where we've gotten this problem, okay? In doing so and not responding to the fact of being involved and engrossed in idolatry, it gives way to homosexuality of degrading passions and so when this is the god gave them up notice it's mentioned first in verse 24 notice it's mentioned again in verse 26 and remember what we said verses 24 and 26 and 27 all go together right so the giving up god gave them up to these passions is all the same thing does everybody see that it's the same act it's the same instance it's the same matter that's at hand and the idea is giving them up the giving them up to degrading passions of the lust of their hearts now why is that important because giving them up to that and seeing a massive participation of that behavior in a society tells you one thing. It tells you, in fact, I wrote it down. It is evidence of God's passive wrath on those who do not thank him or honor him and have exchanged God for a lie, even, even a personalized misrepresentation of who God is and how he works. I can't tell you how many interactions I've had with people who are gay who want to tell me that God's okay with what they're doing. I ask for a rational basis about that, and I've never seen such scripture twisting in my life. And why is that? Because it's a result of panic. Now, I understand this element of it, and I think we need to be sympathetic too. If you've gone all your life and all you've been told is that you're wrong, And then you're finally throwing off all restraint and with complete abandonment running in a direction of, well, this is who I am and this identifies me and this is this is going to be my characteristic. I am choosing to live this life. And it is a choice, okay? It's a choice rooted out of sin. We're all born with sin, but it's a choice that somebody makes to manifest what is ultimately rotten in their hearts, okay? But in doing that, to sit here and tell them that they're wrong about that as well, I can understand why that gets the response that it does. 
They were putting all their eggs in that basket, hoping that this would finally take and acceptance would be found with people or that acceptance would be found amongst a group. And here's one thing, and I think that we need to, to seriously think about this as a church. If we're all united in the headship of Jesus Christ and we are his body and we are to love one another as he has loved us, to consider one another better than ourselves, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us, and that should be the attitude and the atmosphere that coaxes, or sorry, not coaxes, covers the church as a body why is it that homosexuals are finding greater acceptance in their community of people than they've ever found is how the church would display acceptance are you saying we should accept homosexuality that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that the acceptance for the fact that they are people who need a savior like we are people who need a savior has been put on the back burner when that is the main issue We get so consumed with treating symptoms, we're not dealing with the real problem. We love singling out the homosexual because they're sinning, not like us. You see what I'm saying? Now, I will also say this, and some of you are not going to like this, this, what I'm going to say. It is not beyond a Christian to fall into this lifestyle and still be saved. Disobedient? Yes. Out of fellowship? Yes. Full of pride and arrogance? Yes. Guilty? As all get out. Covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? Yes. That's why I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't say, keep on believing and you will be saved. It says, believe and you will be saved. But if that wasn't a reality, then Paul wouldn't have taken all the time that he does in the New Testament to warn people of that possibility. And he does so in general terms, and he does so in detailed terms. Now, that we'll look at next week, but I think it's important to put in your mind. That's a little bait to hopefully you'll come back for the second one, like you raised your right hand and you promised you would do. So that's important. Now, let's do this. Let's turn to Genesis 1. Let's get our bearings in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, we've gone over this a lot. You can never go over it enough. 26 through 28. And I want you to pay really close attention because gender distinction is at the very front of the Bible. You can't escape it. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them, now notice man, singular, yes, them, what? Plural. Now watch this, okay? Don't just take the the verse in isolation. Let's watch this. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now watch this. God created man, singular, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, singular, yes. But notice how God is using the term man in Genesis 1. It's categorical. It is an overarching umbrella category of something that is different from fish, crawling things, if for no other reason the fact that they are charged with having dominion over these things. Now remember, we are in a pre-fall state. Everything is perfect. And if you want to know what the parameters of how anything in life should be lived, the pre-fall account is the standard. Everything else is an abnormality that's been tainted by the influx of sin. Everybody got that? Yes? Who's asleep? Okay. Thank you, brother. (laughs) At least you're honest. I love it. And a liar. Okay. Notice, in the image of God, he created him. Watch the transition. Male and what? And female. Notice, male and female are under the umbrella headship category of man. One, two. They're both there. Mankind, if you want to say it that way. Notice, male and female, he created them. There's your plural from let them rule over. And watch this. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, God's purposeful design automatically calls for a direction of obedience. Now, I will go ahead and say this. There's a lot of people that want to come to this with like a cocky sense of humor and be smart aleck, which is evidence of the heart. And this used to be me. And say, well, notice God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. They want to bring that mentality to it. 
I'm going to tell you real quick. That is a compassionless defense for a reality that should be expounded upon. That should not be the way that we view this in relation to communicating these truths to the homosexual community. What we should be concerned with is notice when God wanted to start everything with the human race, He created it in such a way as to where it would perpetuate itself and it's intentional. It's got purpose behind it. It's got reason behind it. And here's the ultimate thing. We are not the designers. He is the creator. We are His creatures. This is why we have to... I know I've shown you guys that chart over and over and over. That's why we have to study on that chart. Because we are not on the same grounds as God. He is over us. He calls the shots. He is the authority. And that probably is the greatest problem with the lifestyle choice of this. I'm tired of this authority. I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'm tired of saying that it could be this way, and I'll do it any way that I want to. It never works out. It never does. So notice this. There are two distinct but equal sexes, and they're both under the category of man. Now look over at chapter 2. Now, I want you to look at verse 18. This is what we touched on just a minute ago. Then the Lord God, chapter 2, 18, Yahweh Elohim said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, Pastor Steve will correct my Hebrew later. That's okay. This is the Hebrew word neged. And this word for suitable means that which is opposite. It also means that which corresponds. Notice that. It's something not like me, but it corresponds to me. Does everybody see that? A helper suitable for him. Now watch. An equal and adequate opposite. Also in verse 20, the man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that is equal and adequate to him, that does not correspond with him, but yet is his opposite. The word makes no bones about what it means. The idea of a helper to come alongside a man is to be one that corresponds. It is a purpose. And I will go ahead and tell you this. And good grief, feminists don't hate me, okay? I don't want to go outside and a bunch of brawls are burned in the parking lot after we're done here, okay? Keep them on and just listen. (laughs) People get crazy about stuff without really listening to what people are saying. You will find, biblically speaking, and this really comes down to whether or not you believe God's really spoken or God's just suggested a lot of things using a lot of pages to do it. That if you will embrace... God's design for you as a woman and for us as men and will seek to fulfill those designs with his grace and help. You will have a more fulfilling life than you could have ever conjured on your own by creating experiences, by achieving degrees, by going out and being a prominent woman in the community, whatever that is. A lot of this stuff that we have established ourselves that dictates the worth of a person is by the acceptance of other people and we refuse to believe what God has had to say. Notice that this is the dispensation of innocence. God's not having to deal with sinful people here. He is designing and creating and he is letting us know what our purpose is. See, he is the authority. When we live apart from that authority and apart from that purpose, that's when we get our foot hung up in the bear trap. That's when we get a lot of hot water, and so we repeatedly sin. It's like putting a lot of blankets up on a bed until you can build it up. We're repeatedly layering that sin because we are so stubborn and wanting to be right and seeing our way accomplished rather than putting our hands up and surrendering and submitting to God and saying, God, only your purpose is the right way. God, since you designed this whole thing, I think you know what's going on here. I think you know how this works. Can you imagine the first people who tried to mess with a light bulb without talking to Thomas Edison? (laughs) That's what happened. I guarantee it. Numerous times. But if they would have just talked to Edison, what have Edison said? Get your water away from that light bulb. What is wrong with you? Why do you want to put that in your mouth? That's weird. Who knows? 
They didn't invent safety labels yet. That's a problem. I like the way you think. All right. So because of the interest of time, we're going to wrap up with this last verse. Look down at 23 through 25. And remember, everything we're dealing with is in the dispensation of innocence. This is why dispensations are important to understand the Bible. God is not having to deal with sinful creatures. He is establishing norms. He is establishing truth. He is establishing creation in the way that it ought to go, the natural way it is meant to function. Look at verse 23. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now watch this. This is really important to recognize what is said here because sometimes we would read through it and just bypass it. Pay attention to what God's establishing. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Pause. Does Adam have a biological father and mother? So why is God bringing that up here? He creates woman, brings him to Adam. And Adam says, all right. And they get together. And then God steps back from that situation and he paints a little picture of what reality is to be like, what life is to be like with the idea of gender. There is no father-mother here. God's father, of course, but not biologically speaking. We're not talking about in a reproductive manner, but when God wants to talk about reproduction issues, look what God says. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, because a man cannot be here without the paternal and maternal playing their role, their God-given function of how it is displayed. But look what it says, and be joined, cleave, cling to. Hang on to like a life raft out in the middle of the ocean and without it, you are going to drown. You wonder why I'm so clingy, lady. That's the reason why. I'm just doing what the Bible says. I'm obeying. What are you doing? Anyway. (laughs) But notice, and be joined to his wife and be joined to a female. The male will leave his male-female counterpart that brought him about and he will be joined to a female. Guess what that relationship does? creates a male or female that leaves them and is joined to another male or female counterpart. No sin, and God's directive is clear. And here's what it says. Be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice even though the distinctions are made and promoted, even though they're not necessary in this situation because of God's design in creating them, they're still expected. They're still commanded. In fact, God is just letting you know, when this human race thing rolls forward, here's how it perpetuates itself. The flawless, sinless design. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Were not ashamed. And yet, what did we see as Paul's divine evaluation in the Romans passage? Shameful passions, degrading Passions, burning in lust for one another, committing indecent acts, the degrading of their bodies. And why does all this happen? Because what God says, I'm just going to consider it not much value, not much help, not much use. Let's set that aside because I find a lot more satisfaction, and I think that's interesting, it satisfies me. Maybe externally, but not internally. The lie satisfies me. Now, I had a lot more scripture prepared that we were going to go over, but in the interest of time, I'm not doing it. But let me say this. You cannot put a price on the peace of God. And one thing that we need to remember, if we're dealing with this situation, if you've got family members, friends, yourself, whatever it is, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anyone that is involved in that lifestyle at peace. But let me encourage you with this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have peace and you have been encouraged, and I'll go ahead and use the word commanded by your Savior to share that peace with them because it's only a peace that Christ can provide. Well, why do I have to point out that they're gay? Let me tell you this, you don't have to. If that's the case, that's one of many sins that are going on in their life. 
You don't even have to address that. Somebody asked me one time, Bethlehem Lutheran Church over on the other side of town has a lesbian female minister. What do you think about that? I said, I don't even need to address the fact that she's a lesbian. There's other sins going on in that situation. We don't have to, as the church, point out that one sin, blow it up real huge, and then stick out our chest and say, hmm, I'm right, aren't I? With that attitude, you're not. With that attitude, you're more wrong than anything. But I will tell you this, a presentation of the gospel to anyone who is lost is always right. They may not hear, that's okay. It's not your job to make them hear. It's your job to make him known. That's the difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus loves us in spite of our sins. We thank you, God, that you are merciful and that there is no one who has outsinned your grace. Fathers, we contemplate this subject and filter through what your word has to say about sexual deviancy, that you would give us a tender and gracious heart to, towards those people who are struggling, towards people who have bought into a lie rather than the truth, that maybe your character and your person has been distorted in some way, and that, God, we would be compassionate about that. We need to stop being surprised that people sin, however that sin manifests itself. But we need to be highly concerned with exalting Jesus Christ as the only Savior of the world, who by His grace has tasted death for every person, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and who has made Himself the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but the sins of the entire world. Every single person, regardless of their sin, is a candidate for salvation. And we are responsible for communicating that truth, that love, that grace, that righteousness to every single person we encounter. So help our thinking to be biblical and balanced and that we would not shun the opportunities given to us to speak of your salvation. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.